Welcome to the NC4 Podcast. We exist to know Christ and make Him known. Discover the power of a connected life by listening to this message from God's Word. The title of our series is called Touch Points. Let me explain. Faith, in order to function, has to have a, like a specific point of contact. And whether I'm praying for healing, praying for financial breakthrough, praying for a place to live, We've, we're praying for a couple people for a place to live right now. Uh, praying for the restoration of a relationship. Praying for a job, to get a job, to keep a job. Whatever it is, I need a practical, measurable focus for faith to be exhibited. I need to see that. And so, um, so I, the second thing I need is as a means of sowing in to, to, that, to that issue. And that, that's a touch point, a touch point of faith. Uh, Ilya, who you saw there as Janet's husband, his touch point was a miraculous healing for his wife. That's what he was looking for. And then, you know, and then afterwards, when, when we see, when we're able to see God working, it's really important to, to give glory to God when the miracle actually occurs. And we need to be actionable. There's a list of miracles that we're starting to put on the website. A couple were added this week. And you can go on and you can do that. that we want to we wanna, we wanna testify to the goodness and the glory of God. And even in the midst of this, God is working. So individually and together, we've been praying uh, into this series and asking God to reveal to each of the household, each, each of us personally, touch points for our faith. So I call this message touchy, touchy touch points. And because there's a truth here, we, we all have issues in our lives that we just don't want God to touch. Or is that just me? Yeah. And so, so uh, here, here's the, the question I have. What if the touch point of your faith offends you? Or what if the obedience that God requires of you is way too touchy for you? Yeah? That, that, that you, you just, you can't, like you say, anything but that, Lord. Have you ever been there? All right. So when I was a, a young Christian, like maybe only, oh, a few months old in the Lord, I really began to have some emotional problems. Uh, I mean, I went from that glory moment when you accept Jesus as your God, your Lord, and your Savior into a, a deal where, where I began to have moments of doubt. Things were coming at me emotionally and mentally that I... I never really, I had never experienced anything that in my life. And, and I was shaken. I was shaken of concerning who I was and what I was going to do and how to have faith to get out of this and so forth. So at the time, I was involved in the Catholic charismatic movement. This is long before there was a new covenant. And, and uh, one of the people in the meetings that I was going to at the time said, you know, I think that you need deliverance. And I didn't know what deliverance was. I didn't, you know, didn't understand that. Uh, I had my own theories about evil and so forth. And so they said, let us take you to a church we go to on Sunday evening. So they took me to this little Pentecostal holiness church in the middle of nowhere down near Schwanksville, Pennsylvania. I walked in and the, the glory of God was there. I could sense it, but this was way out of my wheelhouse. This is something like, uh, you know, I, I hadn't experienced before. On the right was this big uh, Hammond organ with a Leslie cabinet. You know how those, in, in the African-American churches, how those things pump up and they were singing to that. And on, the, on, on this side, there was a piano and they were singing like songs that I'd never heard before. Now, I walked in there, okay, my church culture was this. 
credo in unum deum, patrem omnipotentum. That was my church culture. I go in there and they're singing, Elijah is here, Elijah is here, go tell Ahab and Jezebel, Elijah is here. This is like, I mean, I'm assaulted, right? And so I'm, <laughs> and so I'm saying, this is way too corn pone for me, God, right? That was what I was saying. And yet, and yet, I knew that I was supposed to be there and I knew that God had a touch for me that evening. Are you, are you there? So when the time came, they had an altar call and, and this wonderful old Pentecostal pastor, uh, you came up to an actual altar rail and I knelt down and he said, what's wrong, son? And because I was a kid then, he said, let me pray for you. And he laid hands on me and he took authority over every power of darkness on the planet. I mean, he prayed for me, not for a long time, but about, I'm gonna say about 10 minutes. And I got up and I left. And over the course of the next week, I began to go through absolute miracles in terms of a change. I, I, you know, I sensed, I sensed my life being, it was more dramatic than being baptized in the Holy Spirit. It was more dramatic than being, uh, than, than, than even my salvation from a, an emotional standpoint. Are you there? But when I walked in to that little Pentecostal church that night, my demeanor was this, anything but this God. <laughs> I mean, this is beneath me. It was like God had something for me, but I needed to small myself down, as the Jamaicans say, and become humble. And it was probably one of the most important nights of my life. See, what if God, what if the touch point God wants for your faith is something that you see beneath yourself or, or offends you. So much of the gospel is filled with stories of people who had to humble themselves in order to receive the miracle that God offered. Uh, Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom. And we're in a, a move on the earth right now that's very difficult. And across the church, people are saying, we need the kingdom, we need the kingdom, we need the kingdom. What's really interesting, Jesus said the kingdom is reserved for those who are poor in spirit, which is another way of saying those who are, have a capacity to be humble in, as a matter of course in their lives. So the key then, I believe the key to, to seeing the glory of God is this poverty of spirit, this humility. So where do we find what that looks like in the Bible? That's the question. Actually, it's Jesus himself who gives us the answer to that. When Jesus went to his home synagogue in Nazareth, uh, which the scripture says was as his custom. In other words, did you know Jesus went to church? And so he had a real problem performing miracles because they were offended that a mere local son of a tradesman claimed to be a chosen one moving in God. They were saying to themselves, wait a second, we know this guy. He grew up here. Who does he think he is? And there's this manifest arrogance in the synagogue in Nazareth. I've been in that synagogue. I mean, at one point they were ready to throw him off a cliff. I've been to that cliff. And Matthew 13 says that Jesus didn't do many miracles there. Watch this, because of their unbelief. See, submitting to Jesus' ministry was way too touchy, touchy, a touch point for them. Are you there? And so, so um, 
and this is, this is what Jesus said. It's, it's amazing. This, is, it's, this escapes us of how startling it mu- must have been for the, for the congregation in Nazareth that day. This is what Jesus said. Truly I say to you that no prophet is welcome in his hometown. In Luke 4, where this story is told, Jesus prophesies something really important that we often miss. He says, but I say to you in truth, there were many lepers in Israel in the time of Elisha, the prophet, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. And all the people in the synagogue were filled with rage, Luke tells us, as they heard these things. Whoa. Now, that, you, you have to understand, the tragedy here is this. There were people who could have experienced the miraculous power of God in Nazareth that day, but they didn't. It didn't happen. And people who are poor in spirit don't have touchy touch points that, that there are stop gaps for God moving in a demonstration of the power and spirit. Jesus is saying, if you want to understand what being poor in spirit means, guess what? Take a look at Naaman the Syrian. Naaman was the wrong religion, Jesus is saying. He was the wrong race. He was the wrong ethnicity. He spoke the wrong language. He had the wrong citizenship. But here's the worst thing. He was in charge. <laughs> he was a general in the Syrian army that had, that, that had completely defeated Israel. So I want to take a look at the story of Naaman that Jesus points us to and see if we can tease out a couple issues of poverty, poverty of spirit that can take us somewhere in, in our quest for faith. But before I do this, there's just one principle. It's this. Arrogance destroys faith, and the arrogant rarely recognize their own arrogance. Huh? I'll say that again. Arrogance destroys faith. It's the opposite of poverty of spirit. But the arrogant rarely recognize their own arrogance. When I was in that Pentecostal Holy, Holiness Church that, e- that evening, the, the, the presence of God were there. The glory of God was there. The saints of the Lord were there. And I walked in with all kinds of intellectual and religious arrogance that almost stopped me from getting the portion of the kingdom that was mine. Are you there? It's that kind of thing. So let's read from uh, 2 Kings 5 verse 1. The context here isn't terribly important for our purposes, so I'm not going to get into it because we want to move along. So I'm in 2 Kings chapter 5, beginning in verse uh, 1. Naaman, commander of the... I'm going to do a running commentary here. Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and in high favor because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. Isn't that interesting? God gives victories to Israel's enemy. All right. He was a, a mighty man of valor, but... He was a leper. I just think, man, Naaman, all these good things. And then it says, the understatement here is almost hilarious. He said, but he was a leper. But that defines his whole life. Who he can be with, who he can, uh, you know, who, what he looks like. But he was a leper. I can't believe the, the understatement there. It's kind of like, okay, Mrs. Lincoln, other than that, how is the play? You know, it's... it's uh, it's, it's that kind of a thing. Okay, it's a big problem. It, it probably overshadows just about everything else in his life. Verse 2, now the Syrians on one of their raids had carried off a little girl from the land of Israel. And she worked in the service of Naaman's wife. 
She was, she was a kidnapped slave, but, but watch, watch the strange attitude that she has here. Verse three, she said to her mistress, would that my Lord were with the prophet who was in Samaria, he would have cured him of his leprosy. And that word with means in the face of it. it means, I mean, the literal translation of that would be in Hebrew, would that my Lord was in submission to the prophet in Samaria. So now watch what happens here. Watch the order of authority that begins to unfold. The slave tells her mistress, who then tells Naaman, who then takes it to his king, who then takes it to Israel's king, who then takes it to Elisha. See, you, you, you can't be poor in spirit without, and, and ignore uh, uh, authority. So verse four, so Naaman went in and told his Lord, and thus and so spoke the, the girl from the land of Israel, it's verse four. And verse five, it says, and the king of Syria said, well, go now, I will just send a letter to the king of Israel. So he, that's Naaman, went taking with him 10 talents of silver, it's a lot of money, 6,000 shekels of gold, that's a lot more money, and then 10 changes of clothing, verse six, and he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which read, when this letter reaches you, you know that I have sent to you Naaman, my servant, that you may cure him of leprosy. Well, it wasn't the king of Israel who was supposed to cure him of leprosy, but the lines of authority worked that way. And so, uh, so Naaman here is actually honoring a vassal king, verse seven. And when the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and he said, am I God to kill and make alive? You know, this man sends word to me to cure a man of leprosy? Only consider and see how this king is seeking a quarrel with me. He's suspicious of the whole thing. Is Israel's king is completely threat, uh, threatened. And so in verse nine, enter Elisha. Right. But when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he sent to the king saying, well, why have you torn your clothes? Let him come now to me that he may know that there is a prophet in Israel. Verse nine, so Naaman came with his horses and chariots and stood at the door of Elisha's house. Watch this. In verse 10, and Elisha sent a messenger to him. Elisha didn't even come out. This is an affront. You say, well, what's going on here? So Elisha sent a messenger to him saying, go and wash in the Jordan seven times and your flesh shall be restored and you shall be clean. So, okay, the king didn't do anything for him. Sends him to Elisha who's in Samaria and, and then Elisha doesn't even come out and greet him. He sends a servant to do it. Okay. Verse 11, but Naaman was angry and went away saying, behold, I thought that he would surely come out and, and stand and call upon the name of the Lord, his God, wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. Naaman wanted a big charismatic service, right? All right, and then he says this, are not uh, the Abha and Farpar rivers, the rivers of Damascus better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in one of them and be clean? And so he turned and he went away in a rage. See, uh, the Abana River and the Farpar River are mountain rivers. Like, they're like beautiful trout streams, right? And so the Jordan, on the other hand, is this dirty kind of muddy river. Seven times mean you're gonna get completely muddy if you're obedient to God, verse 13. But the servants came near and said to him, my father, I, I love this. The servants came to him and said, my father, gives you an idea of how they respected their master. My father, it's a great word. It's a really great word. 
the prophet has spoken to you. Will you not do it? Why don't you just do it? Has he actually said to you, wash and be clean? I mean, this, this is your moment. But arrogance is getting in your way. Watch the poverty here. Naaman had to forego feeling dishonored. He had to submit himself to a foreign prophet as well as to his own servant. How touchy, touchy, touch point can you get? Huh? And so verse 14, so he went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan according to the word of the man of God. Watch this. And his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child and he was clean. Wow. See, I can relate to Naaman. Be, because here's something I've discovered about myself and something my wife has discovered about me for the last 40 years. It's this. It's this. Usually I don't change until the pain of staying the same is greater than the pain of changing. Or is that just me? <laughs> Naaman's so ready for a miracle. And so here's the story that Jesus points us to. See, I'm reading this long story because Jesus said, you gotta look at this guy, this Syrian guy. This guy is a hero of the faith. He said, Jesus points the whole village of Nazareth to this Syrian general. And he's so ready for a miracle, Naaman is. So here's the, here's the story that Jesus points us to, to see the power and the demonstration of the Lord manifest. So what are some takeaways? The first is this. Those who are poor in spirit scripturally grasp the nature of authority. I've been in the pastoral business for decades, and I found a pretty good indicator of spirituality has to do with our attitude toward authority, not the authority in the church or the government, just the attitude with which we walk, the way our hearts lean. And I'm not talking about walking in lockstep with somebody who says to do something wrong or anything like that. I'm talking about something in a human heart. When the Roman centurion who wanted his servant healed asked Jesus to come and says, look, you don't, don't even come under my roof. Just say the word, my servant will be healed. In Matthew 8, it, it explains the reasoning or the heart of the Roman centurion who's like the chief cop in Israel at that time his heart, and this is what he says to Jesus. He says, I'm a man under authority and with soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes. And to my slave, do this, and he does it. And that's how I understand faith, he's saying to Jesus. When Jesus heard this, he was astonished, the scripture says. How would you like to astonish Jesus? Huh? He, he was astonished. He marveled and said to to, to those who were following, this, Jesus turned to them and said, truly, truly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith with anyone in Israel. See, so we who are religious have to ask ourselves, you know, all these indicators in the scripture point to people who aren't religious, right? But who have this capacity to believe and they see the miraculous done. And this is the very attitude that we see in Na Naaman as well. We, he honors those in authority over him, but he honors those who serve him. He credits them with dignity and value. And, and you know, pathway for the miraculous is too touchy for these people. Interestingly, Naaman's, Naaman's name in Aramaic uh, is, is a cognate. It means it's related to the name of Naomi in the book of Ruth. You know what it means? It means pleasant one. This guy is just pleasant to be around kindness, 
And we talked about kindness. It means pleasant one. This guy, for all his power, was a joy to be around, which explains the little girl's attitude. You know, it explains the, 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 the servant's attitude toward him. And I have to be honest, within the scriptures, within uh, 20 years of ministry, I don't see miracles released to nasty people. <laughs> so, I mean, really, I, I've watched this. You know, I, I, I was with, this is, this is back a couple, a couple years ago. We happened to be at a conference. There was a Catholic nun there. And, uh, oh boy, I gotta hurry here. Oh, I was, we were at a conference. There was a Catholic nun there who was a prophetic. She was just a brilliant gal. And so she asked us to, if Trish and I would go to visit this couple, and the woman needed healing kind of uh, very badly. So we went in to pray for her. She was in the living room, and her husband, I'm going to say they were in their 60s, something like that, and he was in the other room watching television. So we went in to pray for her. As we were praying for her, we laid hands on her and began to speak healing to her. And the Catholic nun said, yeah, I think the Lord is saying that he's requiring of you to restore your relationship with your husband. Now, she did not know what the relationship was. She didn't have any idea. She said, but I think God wants to do something really good between you and your hubby. All of a sudden, she went into a rage. She said, listen, I'll tell you why I'm not going to hell, she said. My hell is in the other room. That was what she said. The sister was really nice to her. She said, I, I understand that. Maybe we can get you some counseling or, or do something for you. But, but this seems to be an obstacle toward what God wants you to do in terms of healing. The problem was, it was a touchy, touchy touch point. Huh? See, I mean, I've had some touchy, touchy touch points in my life. And this gal had it as well. So often, this is my point, often the touch points of the miraculous def defy our immediate sensibility and even our sensitivity. In other words, you know, wh why does my healing have to do, what does that have to do with going in and making friends with my husband again, huh? What is, uh, what is uh, 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 seeing uh, one, of, one of my kids, I talked about this last week, one of my kids get through this uh, terrible predicament have to do with me taking a Hebrew course. See, th the problem here is, and I keep saying it again, you can't make a formula for the mystery. You just have to be obedient. Yeah. That's just the way it has to be. And so sometimes what the obedience required of us can be like preposterous. God can heal you in a traditional liturgical service, especially if you hate liturgy. <laughs> and you think he would never do that. Yeah? Or, or we, we need to be asking ourselves during this season, what is God saying to us? We need to pray in to uh, the touch point for our faith, what we're seeking from God, and then pray into it and ask him, how, how do you want me to be obedient? How do you want me to sow into the reception of this mir miracle? Because miracles come in crazy packages in the spirit. They come from the hem of a garment. They come when someone spits in the dirt and rubs it in your eyes, yeah? Uh, miracles come when you search the sky for just the right star. Miracles come when you give until it hurts. Miracles come when you give when it doesn't hurt. <laughs> miracles come when you baptize yourself in muddy water. Miracles come when you submit yourself to someone whose whole demeanor offends you. Uh, you have to ask yourself things. This kind of stuff I have to ask myself. What if God wants to do a miracle through me at a rap concert? That would be very difficult for me. 
<laughs> Just a couple examples. You know, one of the most brilliant prophetic men that I ever met taught in a Bible school in woods in upstate New York, and he was just so formal. I mean, he would like wake up in the morning and put on a jacket and tie. It was who he was. There was a formality to his very being. When he was younger, his mom belonged to a, a Pentecostal church, an AOG church in Clearfield County, Pennsylvania, which is in the middle of nowhere. She contracted, I think it was skin cancer. In any event, she needed healing. They were praying like crazy, fasting for her and so forth. So it was determined, in those days, there was this miracle healer called Catherine Coleman. Now, Catherine Coleman operated outside of Pittsburgh. Some of you know who she was. She's renowned as a healer, but she was flamboyant and crazy. And I sat at her desk one day. She was just so out of the box. And yet God used her miraculously all over the place. So it was determined that the family wanted to take her down to a Catherine Coleman a healing meeting. And so uh, my friend, his name was Steve, had to go down and get his mom and take her to the Catherine Coleman. He had bright red hair. He was a, a striking kind of guy, very formal. Catherine Coleman meetings were anything but formal. There was nothing formal about them. So he had to take her down and he was kind of offended at that. So he said, you know, well, God can heal here. He said to his mother, God can heal here. Why do we have to go to Pittsburgh for you to be healed? And she said, because God's healing people in Pittsburgh, he's not healing anybody here. So they walk into the Coleman meeting and all the gala stuff is going on. And Catherine Coleman looks down at him and I can't imagine saying, anybody saying this to him. She says, hey, Red, <laughs> just like that. Who's that with you? And, and he looks up and he says, it's my mother. He said, well, bring her up here. And so he brought her up. And she said, what's your problem? And she told her, she laid hands on her, his mother, and she was completely healed, you know. So the nature of that healing, I mean, this is kind of a, a pattern. Now, I'm not saying if God requires an obedience from you, it's got to be offensive. I'm not, that's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying very often, God's looking to do something in us that our obedience has content is, is that okay if I say it that way? Our obedience has content, usually. Very often, the content of our obedience isn't apparent to us until afterwards. Huh? It's that kind of thing. One last thing. So this is back in the 90s when the Toronto renewal was going on. And when that first started, I went up with another apostolic guy, a good friend of mine. I'm just going to say it this way. The Holy Spirit hit me. My father had just passed away not long before, I mean, about, I'm going to think about a year before, uh, my father had passed away. My father came to Christ before he passed away. But the thing was, he passed away, and almost three weeks after he received Christ, out of nowhere, he threw a clot. It just came out of, he was getting up and scrubbing to assist at a surgery, and he just fell to the ground and died like that. And so I, I was grieving, deeply grieving, because I never really had a chance to know and interact with my redeemed father. Are you, are you there? And so I was like, oh man. So I've forgotten all about that and I'm going on. I'm up in Toronto and the Holy Spirit hit me and I was laying on the floor and just the glory of God was, was all over me. I went to get up and I got on my hands and knees and the Holy Spirit 
kind of came on me and spoke a word to me. And it was just crazy. It was absolutely nuts. I felt like the Lord said to go like that. And so I, I thought, I'm not going to do that. I am not going to do that. And I just again, the Lord said, go like this. I said, I'm not going to do that. But the presence of God began to get greater and greater. And so I'm on my hands and knees and I'm, I'm in the middle and all these people are standing around me now, right? And I'm just going, I could tell some of them were offended. Now, I would not do this in church. I shouldn't say that, but I don't think I would do. Oh, I just did it. Anyway, I'm standing there knowing how absolutely crazy I'm looking. Some people are looking at me like I'm even crazier than I think I am. And when I finally finished and got up, this gentleman comes over to me and says, do you have any idea why you were doing that? I said, I haven't the slightest notion. And he said, okay. And he laid hands on me. He said, God, reveal the content of disobedience. Yeah? Reveal the content of disobedience. Now, I have to admit, with the kinds of things that were going on at that revival, there were other outlandish things. I mean, I remember one woman kept saying, cock-a-doodle-doo, cock-a-doodle-doo. And, and somebody went over and said, why are you saying that? She said, because it's a new day, you know. So it was that kind of a climate, you know. It wasn't like right now. That night, I had a dream. And in the dream, I was a, a little boy again. And uh, I had completely forgotten about it. But my father would come home. He was in the Air Force. He would come home and he'd grab me. I was five years old or something like that. He'd pin me down on the floor, pull up my shirt, and go into my, my belly and go, just like that. And when I woke up the next morning, it's like my grief was gone. I'd like I, something happened. I was healed. But I wonder what would have happened if I wasn't obedient to do what God said and discover the content of that obedience. Isn't this neat? I didn't feel like I looked stupid anymore, even though I did look stupid. It was just, this is the way God works. So your homework for this week is to ask God, what are my touchy, touchy touch points? <laughs> are there areas of my life where faith needs to be brought to bear because I'm just stuffy in that area? Yeah? It could be the miracle that we're believing for we need to find the touchy touch point. Huh? I prayed that prayer at the beginning of last week. This week has been uh, one of the more challenging weeks of my life. One of the prayers God always answers is what's wrong. <laughs> and that's not to put some kind of dread in you or anything like that, but I just am excited about what God's gonna do, yeah? So can we stand and, Father, in the name of Jesus, I just release touch points of faith. I release objects of faith that people need to have for their lives right now. Release them into our households, the households of this church. I speak protection and blessing and blessing and more blessing upon our household. Individuals, God, God, we just really are desiring and not just hopeful. Or believing in faith, you're going to move in households and people in, in profound and wonderful ways. And in this church, uh, in Jesus Christ's name we pray, amen and amen. You know, if you're online or if you're here, you've never made the touch point of your faith Jesus himself in the sense that he's the one who died for you. He's the one who forgives all your sins. He's the one who gives you the grace to live a life free of guilt and condemnation 
and he loves you, and he's your God and your Savior and King. This morning while we're worshiping, all you have to do is say, Jesus, come into my life. It's that simple. Come into my life. I want you to be my Lord, my God. I want to receive you. While we're worshiping, if you do that, if you're here and, and, and you're making that decision, I think I know most of the people here, but if there is anyone here who needs to make that decision, you can come forward and I'll pray for you. But if you're at home, contact Pastor Mike and say, look, I think I prayed that prayer and it really meant something. This could be, I mean, this could be the, the greatest thing that ever happened to you because this will, you know, throw out all your touch points just all at once. So. So we got word from Pastor Mike Dunstan um, that two people online have given their lives to Christ. Just so you know, praise the Lord. Welcome to the kingdom. Amen. Amen. In the toughest times, there's grace, 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 grace. Amen. Thank you for listening to the NC4 Podcast. For more info, visit our website at nc4.org. We believe in the power of a connected life. If you prayed to give your life to Jesus today, we'd love to help you walk it out together. Just text the word Jesus to 610-816-6062.